the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One politician said that abortion is a cause of inflation. And then, a story of a visitor to my front door today. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome to The Common Good. You're on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. It is so good to have you with us. Aubrey, on a Wednesday, what do we call Wednesday here? <laughs> we call it Hope Day. Hope Day. It is good to be with you. The sun is shining. It is shining. I was very worried we were headed into like blizzard season, it's but it coming. feels beautiful again. No, I think the weather's warming up this it weekend. It is. We're yes. in that time of yes. year where it goes warm than cold and warm than cold. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, Oh, it's just cold now. <laughs> it's so, only cold and dead. Yeah, it's supposed to be in the 70s over the weekend. Uh, I was by myself yesterday. And as I told our listeners, you were off speaking at the Amplify conference in Wheaton. So I told them. Yesterday, we'd get a report. How did it go? Oh, thank you for thank you for asking and thank you for bringing that up. It went great. I I mean, I had to speak on a really hard topic, which was church abuse and hurt. So That's it simple. was, I, I honestly felt quite a bit of anxiety going mm. into it and had a lot of people praying for me. It felt like there was a lot of spiritual warfare around the topic, honestly. Um, but it went, it went really well. I had a team of folks from Renewal Church come and talk about their experience of racial hurt in the church. So I talked about like abuse of women in the church or girls in the church, kids in the church. They talked about their racial hurt and it was great. Oh, it was good. very powerful, a wonderful audience. Um, we barely scratched the surface. We had yeah. an hour and a half together, and it wasn't enough time. And you were back great. on the campus of our alma mater. Yeah, that's always fun. Parking in the BGC, walking up those steps I we're all always, familiar with. Whenever I go to Wheaton, I purposely illegally park because they can't do anything to you anymore. And I got so many sticker, tickets right? when I was there that now it's like, <laughs> You're like I pay win. back, pay back. <laughs> like, I will I'm, park wherever I want to. I am pulling up I right on the I a lot of tickets as an undergrad at Wheaton, too. Partly because I was always late for class. And so I was just like, I'm parking anywhere. I don't care. So many tickets. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm glad that you are back. Thank it's, you. It was, uh, it was fun to do a show by myself, but it is much more enjoyable to do the show together. I'm glad so. to hear you say that and not the opposite. There you go. <laughs> uh, so here's a topic, an evergreen topic as we get closer. Closer and closer and closer to the midterm uh, elections. And that is the topic of abortion. We talk about it often here on the show. Yeah. And Aubrey, it is becoming more and more with each day kind of the bellwether um, issue in a lot of these races for Senate. And I, when you weren't here yesterday, I played a couple clips where uh, especially pro-abortion people are really pretty extreme a lot of them right now and i don't know if they just feel like they need to say that in order to get votes, uh, get votes. but uh the guy in pennsylvania john fetterman said was asked directly should there be any um is there a point where you're not for abortion yeah. should there be limits yeah and he said no oh uh the governor the democratic candidate for governor in arizona asked the same question answered it the same way. Wow. And so you're like, okay, this is this is a bit crazy. And I wanted to give you kind of a heads up on two more that I saw today. Okay. Because I think 
It is very telling. I, I said this, I think, to you the other day. I don't consider myself a one-issue voter. Yeah. But this is the closest I get. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people one. feel that way. Yeah. So, first of all, I read this off of the Twitter account of Justin Taylor. He was quoting, I believe this is from uh, from Axios, I believe, it said, President Biden is doubling down on abortion, vowing that Roe versus Wade will be his top priority after the midterms, mm-hmm. according to Axios. Biden also pledged to veto any bill passed by Republicans that restricts abortion nationwide. Mm. Biden said that if the bill codifying Roe passes, he will, quote, sign it in January, 50 years after Roe was decided as the law of the land. Together, we will restore the right to choose for every woman in America. So you're getting a glimpse of what's coming. And then I want to play Stacey Abrams. A lot of people are aware who Stacey Abrams is. Uh, She is running for governor in Georgia and has a very good chance of winning. Um, But she's also very progressive. And so she was on MSNBC. And I feel like this, we're going to play this for you in a second, but to set it up, I feel like the host was trying to give her an out Hmm. to get it off of abortion. Hmm. And she was not having it. Let's listen to this. You're running for governor of Georgia. Uh... I would assume, maybe incorrectly, but while abortion is an issue, it nowhere reaches the level of interest of voters in terms of the cost of gas, food, bread, milk, things like that. What can a governor, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with? But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. And so these are, it's, it's important for us to have both and conversations. So I found that to be like a wow moment hmm. because to to help people understand what she said there, she said, Abortion is very much an economical, an economic issue as yeah, well. Yeah. She basically said there, one of the reasons for inflation is because you're having to feed all these kids and do all this stuff. And yeah. uh, that was telling, but also true to a point that oftentimes we, we are unfair when we don't recognize that the number one driver for abortion is economics. Yeah, I, I certainly I certainly think he, I kind of wish um, he wouldn't have posed it like that, like the way he posed it as this is more important than that. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish he just would have said, can we talk about this? Yeah, you know, yeah. like because then it did set her up to say, no, 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 this is an economic this is an em- economic issue. And I do think that's true. Like the cost of having kids is part of the reason why many women who are in situations where they feel like they can't provide would choose to have an abortion. Um, you and I would still go back to this is not an economic decision. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, this is a, a moral decision yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, let's unpack that again, because not everybody listens to us every yeah. day. right? They should, but not everybody listens yeah. to us every day. So, um you and I have tried to say as best we can that this is not even a political issue, right. primarily. Right. Yet in our culture, it is only a political issue. Yeah. In fact, it is the political issue to try to get votes. Yeah. But we as Christians want to say, nope, I, I want to raise this above politics and say that this is a morality issue. This is a human life issue. And yeah. that's super important, right? Yeah. And I always want to 
couch, umbrella, whatever this conversation by saying, one, if you are listening and you have had an abortion, you are so deeply loved by mm-hmm. the father. And so I don't ever want a woman listening. Not the unforgivable to, sin. Yeah. For I don't sure. ever want a woman listening who already feels ashamed or whatever to feel like, oh, here's two pastors on the air making you feel ashamed. So please know there is grace. There is love. Like you are loved unstoppably by God. Um, so I feel like that needs to be front and center. And, you know, I, I struggle with this a little bit myself, Brian, because I do feel like women should be able to have agency over their bodies until the point when it causes other people harm. And at mm. the end of the day, as Christians, we believe that, one, we are all of us created in the image of God, the image and likeness of God. And so that even means unborn children have value to God and were created specifically, like on purpose, with a purpose. Secondly, we also, um, I think, would just affirm as Christians that our call is to care for the least of these mm-hmm. and the most vulnerable, those who can't stand up for themselves. And of course, unborn children are the most vulnerable yes. you can possibly get. Um And so I think the combination of those two sort of, uh, you know, theological realities for many of us as Christians say that abortion is untenable. Now, we Mm -hmm. understand that there are are some difficult situations out Mm -hmm. there, Mm -hmm. and this is a really, really complicated issue. But I think the other flip side is something Karen Swallow Pryor talks about is, like, children bring life and joy. And those of us who have been blessed to be parents understand what a gift they are. And I also, I can't get over personally, Brian, the amount of, you know, I've, I have I speak at a lot of places to a lot of women. And mm-hmm. the amount of women I have sat with who have abortion regrets still, mm-hmm. decades later, I to me, the pain in those women's hearts that they're carrying for so long, wondering who their child could have been. I just, I know people say that's not true for me. I can't ignore that, that pain. Mm, That's well put. Uh, I think as we go into the politics of all of this, of who you're going to vote for and who you're not, I would just encourage people to be um, educated, know what you're voting for. Cause there are some real um, crossroads moments that we're coming to, especially around this, that, that, these people that we're voting for, I guess to put it this way, elections have consequences. And so know yeah. who you're voting yeah. for. Yeah, and I and I think one more thing quickly. I we've said this before, but it bears repeating. Pro-choice has become pro-abortion. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think we need to be aware of that too, that when people say they're cho- pro-choice, are they actually like pro you if you choose life, or is it strictly like they want abortion, no holds bars, no um no guidelines or limits at all. I think that's something to be very wary of. There you go. Coming up next, Aubrey, I've got a story from something that happened today as I was sitting in my living room. I think it, uh, I I just want to share this story and get your thoughts. I'm interested, intrigued. Going to do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. You are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. I thought that music would get you dancing. I was Seemed like, a little I was today. swaying a little. Oh, no, I you was got, swaying. You me, you're, you're our dancer. I know. I usually am our dancer. Yeah. Am our dancer? I yeah. usually are yeah. our dancer. 
There it is. Uh, oh, I jumped. <laughs> I jumped a little bit. There, there. Uh, anyway, good to have everybody with us today on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. If you've missed any of our shows this week, go get the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, and review. That really does help us out a bunch. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com. All right. Urban legends, conspiracy theories. I've told you before, I like a good conspiracy theory. Yeah, you theory. have told me that. You, you listen to podcasts. Well, this podcast doesn't really exist anymore, but there was a podcast literally called Conspiracy Theories. And one, I remember one day I was painting one of our kids' rooms. This is a couple years ago. Yeah. Carrie took the kids like to her parents or something. And all with the like two days that I was going to repaint a bunch of rooms. And yeah. I loved it. I was home alone. I'm painting. Nice. And I listened for like eight hours straight to a Come conspiracy on. theory podcast. And I'm like, what's going on in the world? And the what I appreciate about this podcast is they usually landed on, it's, no, no, that's crazy. This yeah, is actually yeah, a couple yeah. of them. They were like, mm, we maybe think like it's theory considerable. Uh, but what's more dangerous, Aubrey, is kind of when the urban legend, when the conspiracy theory grows, mm. social media is the gasoline right yep. now for a purpose. Yep. And you may or may not have heard of this, uh, but there is a new urban legend going around that at its face just seems ridiculously dumb. Okay. Like, I don't know it. how people can believe it, but we might have listeners who do. Uh, It's this schools, public schools are leaving out litter boxes for kids who identify as furries or who identify as animals or Mm -hmm. whatever else. And so really the, the right has gotten to this point where they're like, see, our public schools are crazy. They're doing whatever they're bowing. They're bowing to uh, the LGBTQ to you be whatever you want to be. You do this. And what is this? See, our, our public schools are going to hell. Okay. Yeah. And it is really grown message boards. And, but you would think this is like a QAnon thing, but they said here at least 20 Republican politicians have claimed this, like publicly, they've claimed this that schools are making accommodations for students who identify as cats. The school districts say these claims are categorically untrue. And so wow. at NBC News, they went to how does an urban myth about litter boxes become a, G, a, a GOP talking point yeah. when it's just categorically not true. Hmm. No pun intended, categorically. <laughs> Good job. So I want to I want to broaden this to the dangers of not just believing but spreading falsehoods. But yeah. basically, NBC News did a deep dive into this. Okay, found that they of all the school districts that was. Um, that were, that people said were doing this. Yeah, they only found one example, and it was an example of a school that had a bucket of 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 kitty litter for mass shootings. Like if they were like stuck in a room and a kid had to like use the bathroom yeah. or something. Yeah, that was it. Wow. But, but this, that blew up, or that Joe became Ro- this. Joe Rogan uh, quoted this no. on his show, and he's got millions he of has listeners. So much influence. Uh, uh, as we said, twenty Republican. Uh, senator or uh, politicians have talked about this. Come on. And I find this dangerous for this reason, Aubrey. You and I have had this conversation about some of the problems that we see in the public schools yeah. and some of the dangers. Yeah. But when you uphold stuff like this, it cuts the conversation out from anything serious. Like there are real concerns about what's going on in the public schools for some people, yeah. myself included. 
this isn't one of them because it's not true. But when you believe in the falsehood, it takes the focus off of that which is true, and it's just done for scare tactics. Why do you even think people, when it's very easy to see that this isn't true, why do people believe in stuff like this? Well, I, okay, man, this is so wild to me, this story. So I think people believe it because culture is shifting so much around this issues that this issue that you're a little bit like not surprised that something like this could be true, mm. right? Unfortunately, I think what it does is when these rumors are spread that are just, you know, wildly out of control, a few things happen. One, that undermines the talking points of all of those politicians, even Joe Rogan, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then I, I think something that NBC News says is that they actually interviewed a couple students who consider themselves part of the, quote, furry community. And what they say is this is a hobby. Sometimes I'll wear a tail, glove or ears to just express my creativity. Sometimes I'll do it. It's like being a mascot. But what they say is... I've never once heard of someone in, who likes to do the saying they want to use a litter box. That puts us at risk of being hurt or bullied. Mm-hmm. So it like exasperates the problem. Yeah. Exacerbates the problem. And I Very think weird. I think where it just causes such issues is this is like there are I want to have conversations with people about things that are going on in our schools. Yeah. Right. Like, I think there are legitimate conversations to be had. Right. But when this kind of stuff becomes the focus, it just sends us to our polls again. The people who are like, no, our public schools are fine and great and doing exactly what they should. They'd be like, well, you're all just crazy if you think that's what's going on. I'm like, I don't think that's what's going on. Let's broaden this out. The danger of Christians, particularly who peddle in conspiracy theories and urban legends and don't really care to find out if they're true. I, I I think that this is hugely dangerous. I think it's so dangerous because as Christians, again, we're, we're people of truth. That's right. And so if you believe every conspiracy theory, if you peddle those uh, rumors or gossip as if that's true, then again, you're like taking the legs out from underneath the very thing you claim to stand on. That's right. right? That's and right. I'm not saying we all haven't believed Things that turned out to be untrue, but to to believe it without questioning and then spread it and then make decisions about it. Like we just have to be very, very careful about what we're believing. Double check where rumors come from. When you get the forward or you hear something that sounds outlandish, maybe actually do the work and find out is this true or not yes. true. I, Yeah, I, I think especially for people who claim to be people of truth. This is especially important for us. This is, it's such a simple answer. You've got the internet in front of you. Mm. Do a little bit of research that says, uh, is this, are they really putting litter boxes in schools? And do the research. You'll find the people who say they are. And you kind of figure out, do some research. So often we believe what we hear on the television, on the radio, what we read on the internet or whatever else it might be. And I think you're putting your finger right on it. We are people of truth. Right. When we stand up and we proclaim the gospel, we are proclaiming the truth of God. That's what we're saying. And if you're a person of truth and then somebody sees on your social media account that you're peddling in conspiracy theories of uh, litter boxes in schools or whatever else it might be, pick your urban legend conspiracy theory of the day. Right. It cuts out from under you any credibility for that which is really important. That's what I'm thinking is it does it 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 um undercuts your integrity. Yeah. 
And then in my mind, it makes you untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. Well, as my as my leader or my potential political candidate, if you can't even discern the difference between truth and rumor, I'm not saying you have to be perfect constantly, but generally, like, that makes me not trust you as a leader because mm-hmm. I see that you don't have good discernment or wisdom. That's right. That's right. And so uh, I think we have to continue to push and bang this drum because guess what's going to happen at the midterm elections? Guess what is definitely going to happen this at is the presidential election about. coming yeah. up? Yeah. There are going to be new urban legends, yeah. new conspiracy yeah. theories. Uh, politicians are going to try to get votes through conspiracy theories. And the church, the people of truth, I like how you coined that phrase. They need to be the ones who stand up and go, nope, we are going to figure out what's true, what's not. Some of this is simple. Ask your kids if there are litter boxes in their schools. (laughs) That's a really good point. Call the schools if you must. Figure it out. Call the school, whatever else Mm -hmm. it might be. It's just not happening. And it takes us away from having the serious conversations that we actually need to have. Well, coming up next, Aubrey, I was on Twitter and I found a wonderful um, example that a preacher gave of, uh, he just preached gospel. Oh, I love and, that. And we're going to listen to that. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. You are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a Wednesday afternoon today. Hope that you're doing well. If you've missed any of the show today, go get the podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcast, just subscribe, rate, review. If you missed the show, you know, we talked abortion. We talked kitty litter in bathrooms and urban legends. And we also <laughs> we talked a lot of ground here. At Jehovah's the Jehovah's Witnesses interrupting my lunch today. <laughs> we talked about what we can learn from Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> you might be surprised. I applauded the Jehovah's Witnesses in my neighborhood. You were for them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not with them. Right, but not I, with them, but for them. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to get an email today from one of my elders like, hey, we need to meet. Yeah, this is, <laughs> sir, this is serious, Pastor. We need, to, we need to have a conversation. Okay. Aubrey, we've done a lot of heavy stuff. I want to just give some inspiration. I want to give some gospel. All right. So let's do it. I was, uh, this clip kept getting shared on Twitter. And I don't even know the guy's name, but he was, um, he was talking about – he used that story. Did you see it the other day of uh, – oh, his name is Herschel York. Did you see the story the other day of those two climate activists who threw the can of soup on like the uh, – Mona Lisa or no, something. No, no, no. On, no not on that a Van, one? On a Van Gogh. Oh, okay. Uh, but worth millions upon millions, tens of hundreds okay. of millions. And wow. I, I don't get why the climate activists are – like think it's like I'm going to do this, and then they always glue themselves to a wall, or they did this at a basketball game. And glue, I, I don't. Did you yeah. see the climate? This wasn't the point. I do I want to get to the gospel. I do get confused how it's connected to um, climate, except that it just grabs attention. I suppose. Did you see the climate activists the other day who were in a grocery store just pouring all the milk on the floor? <laughs> no. And I was like, okay, that's a I tactic. Don't... It's a tactic. What does like, it have to do with the? Is my... it the plastic bottles there? No. Here's my here's my protest. The 17-year-old over there working for $11 an hour now has to mop up all the milk. (laughs) Hey, look at me, Miss Admirable Protester. I don't know. Maybe a bad idea. (laughs) Like, who else is, you know, 
It's one thing the tomato right. soup of Van Gogh, but like the it's poor milk. It's another thing just to make it hard on somebody who's just working for a living. Exactly. Yeah, there's all yeah. these people shopping, True. being like, right. I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't yeah, know. their their choices for protests are always they always seem off to me. But here we are talking about it, so you, you know, see these people works. pushing their carts, and you, and you know what's going through their mind. I'm just trying to get a box of pop tarts. Some groceries. I just want the pop tarts. And you're pouring <laughs> and you're milk just, like, all going over around the place. The milk. You're like, oh, okay. Man, I, yeah, I don't get it. Somebody's day hard. That's sad. But this pastor Herschel York, he used uh, that example. In a, in a sermon the other day. We're oh. listening to about two minutes of it because, A, it's powerful. And, B, anytime somebody cries, like, at the depth of the goodness of the gospel, mm. I'm always like, I want to listen more to that mm, person. Yeah, so, right. right. Uh, let's listen to these words from Herschel York, and then we'll end our hour discussing it. We're having a little bit of technical difficulty. I, I might oh, preach it to you. Here it is. oil walked into the National Gallery in London with a can of tomato soup and walked up to Van Gogh's 1888 masterpiece painting sunflowers and threw that can of tomato soup right on the painting. It was worth, I think it's, it's valued at $83 million, something like that. And then they pulled glue out of their shirts glued their hands to the wall. I don't know about you, but I, I saw that I saw that video. I, a rage came up in me. And social media was going crazy. Like, look at these. They've destroyed. They've destroyed this priceless Van Gogh painting. Later that afternoon, the National Gallery in London issued a statement. There is some minor damage to the frame but the painting was unharmed. It turns out they prepare precisely for such a thing. That painting had a very fine glaze of glass over it, uh, even imperceptible to the human eye. And their little can of tomato soup couldn't hurt it. The law hurls its accusations against us. And our sin may splatter across the frame of our lives, but the atoning work of Christ is greater than anything Satan can do, and no condemnation can stick. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, bravo. Amen. <laughs> One, that guy's voice, like, I just want to listen Please. to him, like, tell me stories as I go to bed at night. Please. He's like everyone's favorite grandpa. Like, that was amazing. <laughs> but that was so beautiful and so powerful. Like, I did yeah. a fist bump in the air. Yeah, what, uh. what did you take from it? Let's let's uh, let's mm. send people out of here encouraged. I love the, the imagery of the throne. We all saw that image yeah. of them throwing yeah. the can. Uh, but there being a protection over it mm. and and it being protected and the mm. idea of there being no condemnation. I, I just needed to hear that today. Yeah, it, it is funny, isn't it, Brian, how you just need to hear the gospel again mm-hmm. and again and again. Mm-hmm. And almost you don't even realize how much you need it until you hear it. And then you're like, you yourself are crying where you're like, oh, that's right. There's therefore now no condemnation mm-hmm. for those who are in Jesus Christ. I forgot. Like, 
the weight of the world and the way I try to prove myself and the way I constantly condemn myself or I feel like the enemy condemns me. Oh, yeah, that's not true because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Therefore, mm-hmm. there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's like, I don't know, your soul is just so hungry for the gospel and days go by and you just sort of live out of your false self and not who you are in Christ. And so just to hear it again, like you remember like, oh, that's why this is the grace, the truth, and the life. That's why like there's freedom yeah. because your soul even just feels it like, oh yeah, I needed that. I needed that reminder that Jesus has, Jesus has made me clean. Jesus has paid the penalty. Jesus has overcome the enemy. And again, I mean, we're just keep saying Romans 8, 1, but therefore there is now no condemnation. And that's the verse that is such a celebration, but it's so hard to believe. It is so hard to like believe and remember and, and internalize. In. Yeah. yeah. What makes that so difficult? Because I think he's right. We all live with like the tomato stain on us going, of course, I'm messy. I'm dirty. I'm, I can't yeah. be clean. And in that imagery of them being able just to clean it off and wipe it clean. Uh, it is so hard to live in light of that verse. I mean, this isn't new, right? This is the entire Bible, right? God's God made a covenant with his people and they forgot to be faithful. They forgot his goodness. They forgot his compassion, but he keeps pursuing and he keeps being faithful. He keeps pursuing. He keeps being faithful. So I think what makes it hard is uh, like it, our sin, the weights of this world, the suffering we live under, the way we constantly try to save ourselves, whether that's through achievements or accolades or the approval of others like and or just the defeats like you're like, I'm not a good enough mom. I'm not a good enough dad. I'm not a good enough. Whatever it is I'm doing, I life isn't going. You know, it's just like everything can weigh down on you. The weight of this world is truly heavy. And then you hear this breathtaking good yes. news that there is actually another voice being spoken over you. The voice of God, like the authoritative only voice that matters in Jesus saying, "Uh uh-uh, you don't have to save yourself. The work has been done on the cross. You are loved. You are welcomed. You are transformed. You live from that place and not for it anymore, all because of Jesus. It just is, I don't know, you go back to like when you first came to Christ and it's so good to remember. Yeah, it's such good news. If you're out there listening and you've never heard that before, it's true. And it's good news. But for all of you who are Christians, you've been Christian for decades. I love how you put it before. We have to continually preach the gospel to ourselves. The gospel is not the start. The gospel is the start, the middle, the end. It is everything we hold on to. And so we have to continue preaching to ourselves. There is is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. discipline one man's mission and later we're joined by david mathis to talk about finding joy in leadership you're listening to the common good hey everybody welcome back to the common good on this beautiful wednesday evening my name is aubrey samson alongside my co-host brian from we love that you're with us today we hope you're having a wonderful wonderful evening Brian, tonight I'm going to pick out pumpkins with oh. my youngest son. I don't know if we'll do pumpkins this year. Really? Have you outgrown pumpkins in your life? Have we outgrown pumpkins? 
It's weird to say, but I feel like we may have. Okay. Okay. What about do your kids do trick-or-treating or are they too old? Oh, they will trick-or-treat. Because they know, want A couple candy. years ago when my oldest, who's now in college, when she was in, I believe, the eighth grade, it might have been freshman year of high school, a bunch of them being like her girlfriends, they went trick-or-treating around our neighborhood. Fun. Well, oh. they got to an older lady's house. <gasps> Did they get lectured? She's known to be... She yeah. could be cantankerous. Yeah. She yelled at them. <gasps> no. You're too old. She you're did this not. Ad. Yes. Come and on. I, we were all like, thankfully, these girls were great. They handled yeah. it well. We're and they so moved sorry. on to the next Thank one. You so and, much. But yeah, I was like, hey, if you want to just in, trick or treat, trick or treat away. Yeah, go for it. Do you, now, do you make them wear costumes or not necessarily? Oh, of yeah, we, we tell our, especially our teenager, if you can go trick or treating with your friends still, but you got to at least pretend to put on a costume. Exactly. Put throw a mask on or something, like give it a little effort. But I think tonight we're going to do pumpkins and let him pick out a costume. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really, really fun. fun. Your kids are still, especially your youngest, yeah, is still yeah, more in exactly. that range, range. All right. Well, speaking of kids, Brian, I don't know. I have watched something on ESPN that I don't know if you have watched. And I, I feel not. a lot of high horsiness about this because I never <laughs> watch things on ESPN 1. And I never watch things on ESPN that you haven't watched. So ESPN right now has a documentary about a guy named Jason Wilson. He's in Detroit, Michigan. He has something called the Cave of Agilum, which based on um, the life of David, that's where David hid. And I think it's first or second Samuel might be both. And there David was um, he was hiding, but then he was transformed by God into a leader there. It's called the Cave of Agilum Transformational Training Academy. It was founded in 2008 to help young boys learn emotional stability. Mm. So there was a oh. Brian, a powerful emotional clip. Jason Wilson is um, testing a young boy whose dad passed away. Okay. Yeah. And part of their test is they do some type of martial arts, but they also have to pass a faith test where they're repeating scripture, scripture Mm -hmm. memorization. Mm -hmm. This is the scene I want to play for you. Boy's dad has passed away. The boy is testing for his, uh, they call it a faith stone by quoting scripture It's a couple minutes, but it is worth the listen. Let's take a listen. Emmanuel Taylor here to test for his faith stone. Let's go, son. You got this. Ready? Yes, sir. All right, the spiritual side first. What is faith? Faith is a confidence of what we hope for, what I see happen. It gives gives us... It gives us insurance about things we cannot do. I mean, we can. Oh wait. Faith is the confidence. Of... I can't test right now. What'd you say, sir? I can't test right now. Why? I don't know. <laughs> you can't test. You got a lot of weight on you. Not just this test. Look at me. I know you got a lot of weight on you. Let me ask you a question. What would he say to you right now? You know who I'm talking about. Look at me. What would he say right now? I don't know. I mean, you can do this. You know he would say that. You know it. It's just your mind is moving so fast, son. Yes, sir. Breathe. I'm going to sit here next to you. Because we know the situation is different. He would be here, right? Am I right? <laughs> I know he would tell you, let's go. You got this. That's what he'd be saying right now. 
right? Good. So he's here in spirit, okay? And I, I'm, I'm him, okay? And now he would want me to get your back. Let's go. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us an assurance about things we cannot see. Okay, Brian, that I I like can't even listen to that without tears in my eyes. But there's a moment right after that in the ESPN show where Jason Taylor, who's the coach there, says, I, oh, I can't even say it without crying. He says, I thought these young boys needed discipline. I discovered they needed love. Mm. Oh, and so thinking about that boy who lost his dad and having Jason Taylor just like speak love and encouragement over him. I was really moved by that. Obviously, yeah. I'm like in the studio You're crying. crying. Yeah. You're going to hear me sniffle in just a minute. Tell me your thoughts. Uh, so my initial thought is you need to watch more ESPN. See? <laughs> it is this. It's it's uh, it's a way <laughs> ESPN is a way to your emotions. That is it. No, Apparently. it's such a beautiful picture of so many things. Right, the role mm. of people stepping in yeah. where tragedy is struck. Totally. So a young boy. What does that boy look like? He's ten years old, maybe eleven years old. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Probably nine or ten. Maybe. I'm thinking somewhere in that range. And he's lost his dad. Yeah. And what a tragedy. Uh. And it's clearly raw, mm-hmm. and he's flustered. Yeah. And the way that this gentleman, you said his name is Jason Taylor, the way he steps in and says, hey, what would your dad want? Ugh. And let me step in for him yeah. here, not replace him. Let no. me right. be here with you. And right. what happened? The kid then did what he was oh, not able to do no. before uh, is such a there's that's Bible. There's a so Bible. That's picture where I want to go with this. Don't you feel like that is preachable yes. Bible right there? Unpack that. Yeah, because this is the role we play in each other's lives. Like, yeah. what's the story? One of the stories we always do when talking about what, what how we support other people. It's it's Aaron, and I always forget the other guy who hold up Moses' arms, arms when he can't right. hold up his own arms. That poor other guy. What's I that know. guy's name? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and we always use that story because it's such vivid imagery yeah. of, I can't do it. Right. Let me do it for you. Right. And But we see other stories like that along the way. And... um. That's what's going on here on an emotional mm-hmm. level. The boy, if they could have just looked at the boy and been like, "You're a failure." Yeah, you were or told, to, or try to get next. Try week. next time. Go mm-hmm. sit in the cor- go sit over there with yeah. everybody else yeah. and just kind of left him be. But yeah. he said, "You know what? I'm going to step in." And it is that line that you said at the end. Um, I thought these young boys discipline. needed discipline. I discovered they needed love. Yeah, and they needed discipline, but yeah. that yeah. wasn't the primary thing right. Right. that they needed. So, yeah, this is just very scriptural, and it's very, you know, what do, what are we called to do when friends, family, church members, whatever, are going mm. through the tragedies of life? Yeah. It's not the answer. You know, this guy didn't go up and go, well, Jason, uh, what was the kid's name? I forget his name. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Yeah. It, here's why your dad died. And, right. you know, here's what clinically happened. And right. let me explain, you know, there's fallenness in the world and there's he, that wouldn't have been helpful. Mm-mm. And so often we try to have all the answers for people when things are hard. Yeah. When really you just need to go, I'm going to be here with you. Ugh. You got this. Yep. Your dad isn't here. It's a tragedy. Yeah. But if he were here, he would tell you the same. Here's what he and would I'm, do. And I'm here for you. Oh. Instead of I'm going to explain away everything. Mm-hmm. It's just super powerful. Yeah. It is super um, 
illustrative mm-hmm. of what is community real right. real down and dirty deep community yeah. look like and the power of mentorship the power of being present in somebody else's life it's beautiful i, yeah, I want to see this doc i'm a sucker for their documentaries oh well I watch you're them in the now time, so. you're in now please tell everyone aubrey sampson told me about this documentary it's like the Tomorrow, one maybe, the one thing i can maybe we'll do a daily segment entitled <gasps> What Aubrey saw on ESPN last night. <laughs> that requires a lot more ESPN <laughs> from me, so I'm not sure if I'm up for it. Well, I thought that was so beautiful and powerful. Just like you said, like standing by those who are hurting that, I mean, especially a young boy. I also felt like, Brian, there was something about just that the God the Father, the mm, way that he's, yeah. he's got our back, he's by our side. And I think so often we do think of God the Father as the disciplinarian and he's going to yell at us and he's going to put us in the corner like mm-hmm. you said but I, god's posture towards us is grace and love and i look i've got you i'm cheering you on and i think it was just a beautiful like right-sized picture of mentorship community fatherhood and spiritual fatherhood that's as right well. I thought that's it was right so so beautiful well coming up next brian we're going to talk about this campaign that we've been seeing uh around fixing jesus don't know if you've heard about Mm-mm. it. Um, it's the, well, you probably have. It's the He Gets Us campaign, oh, but the that goal, blew up this yeah, the goal is to fix Jesus's images. Image Religion News is saying that Jesus's followers remain a problem that needs to be fixed. We'll talk about all of this when we return. You're listening to, You're the, listening common good. to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. We are so glad that you are with us today, Brian. I am curious if you have seen any of the "He Gets Us" ads on one, TV around town. I or... saw one during a baseball game the other day. Oh, you did? Okay. And I would have to say that I am. I was encouraged and discouraged all simultaneously. Okay, let's see. I want. I want to hear. So I want to cheer on the evangelism effort Absolutely. that says we want to get Jesus out there to uh, the mainstream people who may not hear otherwise. Yeah. And I think what frustrated me was it felt so hidden that it took me a while to even realize, oh, this is about Jesus. Okay. It felt like it was really attempting to water down a lot, like, you know, uh, like almost too far. Like, gotcha, I get how you get gotcha. there. like hey, we want to make stuff that's a little edgy, but we also want people to go, oh, yeah, good, Jesus gets us. It just felt, if I'm going to be nitpicky about it, it felt like it went a little far for me. Interesting. Okay, well, so the He Gets Us campaign, this is a $100 million effort. Here's a quote at religionnews.com. It is an effort to redeem Jesus's brand from the damage done by his followers especially those who say one thing and do another. So there's been a little pushback on this because it's like apologizing Mm -hmm. for all the Christians out there, which in some sense, I get it. I definitely get it. Another sense, you're kind of like, okay. So basically they say that organizers wanted to start a movement of people who want to tell a better story about Jesus. Now I haven't seen it out, but I mean, apparently there's going to be a huge buildup to the Super Bowl. It's already like on some of the big billboards in Vegas. Like we'll see this. He gets us more and more and more. Right. Um, talk to me about the not going far enough thing or the going too far the other direction thing. 
you know, I don't want to sound like that guy, so I want to be careful, but there seemed like such a, there's a pendulum here, right? Yeah. And the pendulum felt like, at least in the commercial I saw, that was like, it felt like this was the message, Aubrey. Hey, Jesus doesn't like church people either. Uh, Jesus has the same frustrations uh, you do. Jesus thinks the same way you do. He gets you. Uh, He gets us. There is some truth to that. Yeah. But it felt, at least the one that I saw. Yeah. But, you know, it's something we talked about before, Aubrey. It is the... Some people's bad evangelism is better than no evangelism. Now it's $100 million. Some people are like, couldn't we have used that money better? Whatever. Yeah. But what I would say is I applaud the effort. It felt like at least in the one or two that I saw, we were swinging the pendulum a little bit too far. Like it was like, hey, he gets us. He gets your. He gets your frustration with Christians. Christians. He gets that you think they're wrong. Yeah. He he gets it. I can see why that's It felt like a lot of affirmation to the person who's out there going, I don't like the church. Yeah. And it, it's kind it's kind church. of implying either does Jesus. And it's church people who made it. So you want to be yeah. like, hold up a are little we, are bit. Are we shooting inside here? Like, what yeah. are we doing here? So Jason Vanderground, who's the president of Haven, a branding firm in Grand Haven, Michigan, said the movement hopes to bridge the gap between the story of Jesus and the public perception of his followers. So they really are doing what you're saying, Brian. The campaign has done extensive market research and found that while many Americans like Jesus, they're skeptical of his followers. The market research split Americans into four categories, non-Christians, people who are spiritually open, Jesus followers, and engaged Christians. And apparently the research showed a wide gap between the first three groups and the last category. And basically the majority of those people who aren't following Jesus said that it's the behavior of Christians Mm -hmm. that's a barrier to the faith. So that's sort of their impetus for the way that they've gone about it. This article at Religion News written by our friend Bob Smetana talks about the recent scandal involving Herschel Walker. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can certainly name reasons why the non-Christian world would see Christians in a bad light. Vanderground again said Christians see their faith as the greatest love story, but those outside the faith see Christians as a hate group. Yeah. And and it's complicated. It is complicated because again, you can just swing this so far. And and that's what a lot of people are pointing at going, Really, we're going to try to reach non-Christians by just ripping the church right? and saying, you know, because eventually what is going to happen here in this, Aubrey, is like maybe you don't like the church because you think people are hypocrites. Right. Maybe you don't like the church because of the message of the, the Bible, go- the gospel. And you're yeah. and now you're confusing people outside of the mm-hmm. church going, hey, Jesus doesn't like them either. Yeah. So they're going. Well, maybe Jesus doesn't care if I sleep around. Maybe right. Jesus right. doesn't care. Right. There's just this. And, and anytime Almost I like hear it's market mixed messaging or thank something, thank you. It yeah. is. So again, I want to cheer on trying to reach people. I want to. I feel very torn about this campaign because yeah. it feels. Uh, again, he went on to say the he hopes the ideals of Jesus as portrayed in the ads might help change American culture if they're more broadly accepted. I don't know that that's the goal, right? I and don't either. So um, yes, we want Christians to begin to live out the teachings of Jesus, yeah. but. I don't think transformation of the culture is the goal. And I also don't think it is like, hey, we agree with you. Jesus agrees with you that the church is failing. Yeah. Follow Jesus. Well, now we're just making converts who are skeptical of the church. You understand the problem here. Yeah, I do understand the problem. While going, 
Yes, we, pr- we pray commercial. God uses it, yes. and, and tons of people come to Jesus. So I and think all of that I think stuff. you can yeah. see the the dissonance. Yeah. They're kind of like, eh, I wish it wasn't about like mm-hmm. Jesus gets your frustrations. Yeah, a portion of the SBC apparently pulled out from their support of this as well. We'll probably see some other churches as well. I, so I'm with you. I I see kind of a mixed bag. Like you could see how this could reach a lot of people who don't know Jesus or have misunderstood Jesus, but then ultimately you want them to get plugged in into a local church community, right? If right? Just, if, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah. if, you're, if your quote-unquote bait has been, hey, Jesus doesn't like the church either. Right, and then all of a sudden you're like, you need to be He doesn't discipled. like hypo- hypocr- yeah. hypocrites either. It's just emboldened people to go, I choose Jesus, but not the church. Yeah. I'm not going to be, and if that doesn't feel like what we're trying to build here. And so I, I do. I think that there are some holes in in the ad campaign yeah. here, and you know, market research and this and that. But we can pray that that God uses right. this campaign right. to cause people to ask questions. That the yeah. Holy Spirit uses this That's to right. uh, in, to enlighten people and draw them to Him. I, I think it can be a both. And you and I believe strongly in the church, and so anything that's kind of going, yeah, you know, let's right. tear down the ch- just feels yeah. un- not just unnecessary, it feels unhelpful. It does feel unhelpful. I always think it's such a false dichotomy when people ma- kind of make a statement, I love Jesus, not the church. It's like, well, you you shouldn't have to divide one for the other. The church is God's thing. Like Jesus mm-hmm. is the head of the church. Interesting, uh, religionnews.com also says they reported that fewer than half of Americans may be Christian by 2070. So like Mm. 50 years from now. That will be gone. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It won't matter. We'll be done. That's on our kids. So again, you can see why if, if, you know, less than half the population is going to be Christian. You can see why some of these efforts. For sure. We are saying there's, there's value, but yeah, the messaging feels like it's not quite on point. What kind of Christians are you making? I would suggest, Mm. or are you making Christians at all? It's interesting. Who get a really low, like, Hey, this is the, the low bar of accepting Jesus. Interesting. I don't know. I think those need to be wrestled with. I think the question is, you know, we think of other major evangelistic things like alpha, they're yeah. they're doing it steeped in scripture. They yeah, want they to are. get people into the church. Right. They want to answer questions. This feels much shallower and therefore a little more dangerous to me. Yeah, I mean it is interesting to think about it. Are there some dangers there? This reminds me when I spoke at uh, Wheaton yesterday on church hurt and abuse. One of the points that I made, and and you'll see how this is connected. But one of the points that I made is. Church hurt. Like there are stories where a pastor calls somebody out because their sinful lifestyle, Mm -hmm. right? They're in leadership and perhaps they're living with their girlfriend. And you might say, hey, look, if you want to be in leadership, you can't keep living with your girlfriend. Yep. And people will go online and they'll call that church hurt, right? They don't approve of me. They don't. That might be hurt. You might be hurt by your pastor, but your pastor's not behaving inappropriately. Like that's different than church abuse, church trauma. And the only reason I'm saying that is because this does, like you said, I feel like this, uh, he gets us. What we don't want it to do is say, he gets us. You can live life however you want yeah. to. Sin doesn't matter. Yeah. Life doesn't. No, like we're calling people to a person, but also a way. Love God, love people. That's the the message of the law and the prophets summed up. That's together. right. That's right. Anyway, very, very complicated and interesting. But we'll continue to cheer them on that the Lord uses. <laughs> the Lord uses. He gets us in powerful ways. Well, coming up next, Brian, I don't know if you know this. There are many different kinds of tired 
you might be feeling some of those right now. We're going to unpack them when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. You are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And as we've said many times on this show, we know it's become a game for many of you. Brian and I are both pastors. It is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so we have uh, introduced, brought on our friend, David Mathis, who is a pastor of pastors and of a church. And he has a brand new book out called Workers for Your Joy, The Call of Christ on Christian leaders. David, we also know that you're part of Desiring God, and we're so grateful that you're here with us today. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Aubrey. It's great to be here talking with you, Brian, as well. Thanks. So, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and then why you decided to write this book? Yes. Well, originally from South Carolina, you might still hear that in my Mm -hmm. voice, but I've been in Minnesota for almost 20 years. My wife is Megan of 15 years. We have four kids. Wow. My full-time job is at Desiring God, and I pastor as well as one of nine pastors at Cities Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, I'm also a big Clemson football fan. Oh. That's the kind of information anybody's looking for or not. But like the Minnesota Twins as well. There you go. And one of the things I often do uh, is also help out at Bethlehem College and Seminary, and that's the origin of this book in the eldership class. Uh, at the seminary. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, Clemson football fan, life has been good for you for the last decade or so, last five to seven years here. Thank God for Davos There you go. Life has been good. Uh, love the concept of this book. In, and in it, you talk about the concept of joy being so important of the role of Christian leadership. As we said, Aubrey and I, we both serve in churches as pastors and wondering, uh, unpack that a little bit, the concept of joy and why it's so important. That's such a good question, Brian. You know, of the various key texts in the New Testament about leadership, the two things that come up most often when the apostles address leaders, one of them is money, and the other one is joy. Mm. <laughs> and, and the two are actually connected because First Peter talks about not pursuing shameful gains. But what he doesn't say is you don't pursue gain. He says, no, he, he assumes you pursue gain in the ministry. But you pursue a kind of shameless gain. There's mm-hmm. an appropriate kind of gain. There's a gain or a joy that you might say is commensurate with the work. It goes along with the nature of the work. So the Apostle Paul, he will even talk about the Thessalonians or the Philippians being his joy, being his glory at Christ's second coming, because his sense of gain is a shameless gain. It is a joy that mm-hmm. is bound up with the joy of his people. And so as Paul gains, his people don't lose. They gain as he gains. And that's the kind of joy that we're to pursue in Christian ministry. It's it's the kind of joy in, well, you might say, the common good. Hey, (laughs) like that there. Well done, sir. Well done, sir. It's the common good of the flock to which Mm. the pastors Mm. have been entrusted. And the place where this is most explicit in the New Testament is in Hebrews 13, 17, where he says to the people, let your pastors labor with joy. In other words, don't get in the way. They're mm. supposed to be doing it from joy. Mm. Hopefully they aspire to the work from joy. Mm. And don't get in the way of their doing it with joy and make them do it from groaning because he says that would be of no advantage to you, church. Mm. So there is a conspiracy of joy in healthy churches. 
The people want to be happy, and the leaders want to pursue a kind of shameless gain, a shameless joy that's in the good of the people. And he says to the church, don't, don't make your pastors have groaning, painful work. Let them labor with joy. And what's implicit to the pastors is, pastors, pursue your joy in ministry. That mm. is the holy joy of seeking the joy of your people in Jesus Christ. Um, David, I love this, and I'm just thinking about the majority of pastors that I know over, especially over the past two and a half years, I feel like many of them have lost their joy. We've mm. even seen that statistically mm-hmm. as as they've walked away from their church leadership positions or even just step back for a time because it just feels like this got too hard. Um, What would you say for any church leader are some starting points to beginning to think about reclaiming that joy again? That's good. Well, you know, it it may very well start with the honesty of Mm. the the joy is gone. And you know what? That's not okay. If, If in another profession, it might be okay to carry on for decades without a real joy in the work. You know, I'm putting food on the table. This is my job. This is my God-appointed role in society. You know, I don't love whatever the, the role might be. However, uh, I, I do the work to complete the end of just to put food on the table for my family. And that way it's an honorable task. Yeah. It's not to be that way with pastoral ministry. In fact, we might even say that that's one of the key differences between a job in the Christian ministry and a job elsewhere in the world is that God says it needs to be joyful. It needs to be a pursuit of joy. The people, Hebrews 13, the people of the church will not benefit if the pastors are doing their work with groaning mm. rather than joy. So it'd be a good thing to begin with an honest admission. If the joy has dried up for an extended period of time, I mean, we all have days, you guys know, we all have days. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we have multiple oh, yeah. days in a row where the joy feels very small and immeasurable. But if it's an extended season, then I would call, then I would I would commend that people be honest about that, say that the joy has dried up, ask for some space, take some time to to evaluate. I would not I would not say continue in the work if the joy is gone. Mm. And then that would be from that honest admission, that's a great place to pray. That's a great place to seek, you know, to say restore unto me in Psalm 51, the joy of my salvation. You might pay, you might pray Christ restore unto me the joy of this calling. Mm. You know, if this, this may be the time to move on, that is a way that God often redirects his people that are in Christian ministry yeah. is through that loss of joy, directing them somewhere else. That is not necessarily wrong or a problem to leave the ministry in transition. Mm. It, it's not supposed to be necessarily for life for everyone. Yeah. That'd be a good thing to be honest. Yeah. Pray for the return of joy and then uh, one thing might be, it, it might be wise in this season to evaluate what may be some of the ways that the joy, that led to the joy disappearing. Hmm. You know, is it, is it a form of burnout? For many pastors, there is a kind of loneliness, even if it's not felt, there's a lack of the teamwork that the New Testament uniformly attributes to the local church. So every instance of local leaders in the New Testament is a, a plural group. We, we use the word plurality, that Christian ministry is meant to be teamwork. Jesus Christ is the one who gets the glory of singular leadership as the chief shepherd in his church. And he means for his under-shepherds, even his apostles were a team. They were plural. Mm-hmm. He means for leadership in local churches to be plural. And one of the ways to stoke each other's joy, share the burden, have things fall off us easier and not get us so deep to the core 
is really doing ministry together as a team. Yeah. David, such a good word. Again, the name of the book is Workers for Your Joy, The Call of Christ on Christian Leaders. The author is David Mathis. Uh, David, as people want to connect more with you, or maybe they want to, where can they pick up the book, but also social media, blog, whatever, where can people uh, connect with you? Well, my main investment online is at DesiringGod.org. That's DesiringGod.org. That's founded by John Piper back in the 19, late 1990s. I'm the executive editor there and one of the senior teachers. I write articles regularly there and uh, <laughs> see just about everything before it goes out the door and <laughs> we put it online. <laughs> I'd love to invite you to DesiringGod.org. That's so fun. We're big fans of DesiringGod.org over here. Pastor David Mathis is a senior teacher and executive editor of DesiringGod.org. He's also a pastor at Cities Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We've been talking with him about his book, Workers for Your Joy, available wherever you get your books. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Aubrey and Brian. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.